The following audio is from Acts Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Acts is available at actschurchleander.com. Well, uh, we, uh, the, day, the day has finally arrived. We are on the last Sunday in the first half of a series we've been doing called The Story. So we've spent since January going through the entire Old Testament. And so this is our last week in the Old Testament. We're going to take a, a breather from that this summer, and then we're going to pick up the New Testament in the fall. But just to give you a, a heads up on the summer, let me just, uh, if we could pull this slide up. So this is something we do that helps us uh, plan our services out. So you can see up there the little graphic says The Story. That's this week. We're done with that. Next week, you can see Grant Carey there. Do you see that? That's him when he um, auditioned to be in the next Harry Potter movie. And uh, anyways, uh, so, no, that's, he just got his doctorate, and he'll be here. We're calling it the Grant Carey Experience uh, next week, as, as I will be in Costa Rica. So you don't want to miss out on that. It'll be, be really, really great. And uh, Tanner made some notes on there. He said, granted, Grant will grant you one grant. So I don't know, I don't know what that's going to look like. But, but next week, uh, Grant will be here to share God's word with us. And then we're going into a series called Acts Stories. Um, and that's what we're going to do is we're going to hear, in light of God's story, in light of looking at the narrative of Scripture, we say, hey, we've been looking at the Old Testament people of God, the nation of Israel, but you know what? We're the people of God today. We're the church. We're the people he's working through today. And so what does it look like for us to live our stories inside of God's story? And so for the next five weeks after that, we'll be looking at the stories of people from our church. And we're going to be hearing what God's doing um, as, as we seek to follow him and, and live for him as a community. And so we're, we're greatly looking forward to that. So encourage you to, to be here and be a part of that. Um, but anyways, we'll get on that. Today, though, we're looking at rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. And so for several months, we've looked at the history of God's people in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel, how they, they've kind of risen, they've fallen, they've risen, they've fallen. I mean, they're just, they're, they're never quite getting it together. Uh, but then the last three weeks have really been this focus on them returning from exile. That uh, two weeks ago, you may recall, that the, the children of Israel returned from, from exile in Babylon and they went and they, they rebuilt the temple. And then last week we looked at the story of Esther, which was kind of happened at the same time as the people returned uh, from exile. But Esther stayed in, in Susa, in the capital city of Persia, and, and there was going to be a genocide of the people of Israel, but she protected them. She stood in the gap and, and kept them from, from all harm. Uh, God used her to do that. And this week is kind of the, uh, the third part in the, the trilogy of the return of exile uh, in, in, the, in the Old Testament in the story of the nation of Israel. And what we see is we've got the temple rebuilt, the people saved from a genocide, but, but the walls of Jerusalem are still destroyed. And so these people are still uh, in danger of being attacked by their enemies. They're not protected. And so under the leadership of a man named Nehemiah, uh, God uses him to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem to keep his people safe. And so that's what we're going to look at today. But what we're actually more specifically going to look at is, is not as much the walls but the prayer that Nehemiah prays before he does this great work of building the walls. And see, and here's why I want us to do that. Here's why we're looking at that text. is because before Nehemiah goes to do a great outer work, he sees that he has to do an inner work first. Okay? Do you understand that? This is, this is a truth I want us to dig into. Uh, that before doing fruitful work on the outside, we first have to do the necessary work on the inside. Here's what I mean. Uh, there's a story that, that philosopher Peter Rollins tells. I don't think it's original to him, but he's who I stole it from. So, uh, Anyways, and, and it goes like this. There's a, a pastor, and, and he gets up front every Sunday in front of his people. 
And at the end of every service, he says this. He says, church, you know, God has called us to serve those in need. God has called us to, to serve people who are, are struggling to, to care for the least of these. And so right after worship, I'm getting in my car, and I'm driving to the next town over, and I'm going to care for people in need. And of course, his, his people are very impressed with his piety, which is something you'll never have to worry about. And, um, and so... So, so he, he gets in his car, and he drives to the next town over, but instead of actually serving people in need, this is what he does. Pulls up to a golf course, gets his clubs out of his trunk, goes up, and he plays 18 holes of golf, and then he goes home. And so this is what he does every Sunday. Every Sunday, he gets up and says, hey, I'm going to go serve people in need, and then instead, he goes over and plays 18 holes of golf. Well, what happened is, of course, uh, this, this angel's watching this and gets very ticked off. And so, so this angel goes up to God and says, God, can, can you believe this guy? Man, he is, he is lying to his church every Sunday. He says that, that he's helping people out and, and he's going and playing 18 holes of golf. God, you, you got to do something. And so God says, all right, uh, let's, let's see what happens next week. So next week rolls around and a pastor gets up, says it's usual people. We're supposed to serve those in need. I'm going to go to the next town over and serve those in need. And, and then he goes and he does his things. He drives up to the golf course, gets his, his bag out of his trunk, goes up to the first tee, swings, and it's actually a really great shot. Like it just, it goes awesome. Makes it all the way to the green. And actually when you think it would stop, the ball keeps rolling and plop, lands in the cup. Got a hole in one. Hole in one. It's amazing. He's so excited. So he goes, he's like, this is a great day. He's excited to be out. So he goes out to the, the second hole. Does it. Another hole in one. Another hole in one. This happens hole after hole. All 18 holes of golf. He, he gets a hole in one on every single one. The perfect game of golf. And so after seeing this, the, the angel goes up to God and says, God, what are you doing, man? Like, this guy lies about serving people, and you give him a perfect game of golf? And God smiles and says, yeah, but who's he going to tell? All right? Okay? Okay? <laughs> Do you know I intentionally spare you cheesy pastor jokes because I don't think anyone will laugh? And look at that. All right. There's plenty more where that came from. Um, Anyways, all right, so there's, there's, a, there's a pile of truths that we could pull from there. But here's what I want us to, to, to focus on this morning. See, see, this pastor, his outer work was a farce. It was a lie, right? He says, I'm going to go help these people. But in fact, the, the work he was doing was, was playing golf. But see, the biggest issue for this guy was not so much what he did on the outside, but it was the fact that he was so comfortable lying to his people. He knew exactly what God would have him do. But he still didn't do it. His inner work needed work. And so does ours. So does ours. See, we are a church that loves the outer work. We really do. And, and the good kind of outer work. I mean, golf's fine too. But, but we, we love to, to serve our community. Uh, if you've been around here at all, you know we love doing that. We love caring for those in need. We love sharing the gospel. This is important to us. And it's awesome. And, and it's, it's our focus as a church. We invest a lot of energy in doing that. But, but what we see in our text today, in the story of Nehemiah, that instead of just doing the good work, just stepping out there and going and going and going, we need to first do the inner work on the inside before we continue the work on the outside. And so in this text, Nehemiah gives us a great outline and gives us a prayer that really helps shape how to do some good inner work before we go and do fruitful outer work. And so let me just set the stage a little bit more for, for Nehemiah here. 
Um, so so it's, it's about 450 BC. Uh, Persia is still the dominant empire in the world. And, uh, and Nehemiah is this guy who works as a cupbearer for the king. Uh, the king of the, the biggest empire in the world. He's the cupbearer, which is actually kind of a big deal because to be the cupbearer, you had to have the, basically the highest level of security clearance uh, because he's the guy that tests to make sure that the king doesn't get poisoned, right? So he's the last hand to, to hand the king a cup. So he's got a, an important job. He's a Jewish man working in the court of the king of Persia. And, and so he's taking care of him. Now, meanwhile, most of Nehemiah's people are back in Jerusalem, their city. And he gets word at the beginning of Nehemiah that their walls are destroyed, that they're crushed. And so our text we read is, is his reaction to hearing that, that the walls of Jerusalem are destroyed. And see, what he wants to do, he knows right away that he's got to go back. He knows he's got to leave the capital city of Susa, he's got to go to Jerusalem, and he's got to lead his people in rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. He knows he's got to do that. But before he does that outer work, he does the necessary inner work first. And so we saw in the first verse that we read, uh, verse 4, that, that he fasts and he prays. But in his prayer, it's, it's incredibly simple, but it's a, it's a profound formula for prayer that, that actually shapes him for what he has to do. And some of you may be familiar with the, the formula that he has, and uh, we're going to walk through that today. It's in this text. It's incredibly helpful as we seek to, to talk with our Father, and that's kind of what I want us to, to focus on today. And so, so here's the outline. It's pretty simple. You may have, may have heard of it before, but it's, it's adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Conveniently, it's also an acronym that spells ACTS. Um, so, so adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. And, and, and you may have heard it before, but, but this outline for prayer is, is kind of repeated throughout Scripture, roughly. Throughout the centuries, great theologians have used this sort of outline for prayer. They've used different words to describe it, but it's basically the same thing. You've got St. Augustine and Martin Luther and John Kelvin and my high school youth minister uh, all, all encourage this sort of outline as we go to God in prayer. And so I just want to teach it to us this morning so that you have it in your arsenal as you do the necessary inner work before God sends you out to do the outer work that he has for you. All right, so, so let's get going. Uh, adoration. If you guys look with me at verse 5 in our text, verse 5, Nehemiah is praying and he says this, and I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. And we see as, as Nehemiah begins his prayer, what's the first thing he does? He begins with adoration, right? He praises God for who he is and what he's done. He says, you're the Lord God of heaven. You're, you're great and awesome. You keep your covenant. You show a steadfast love. You're a God who keeps his promises. You are so great and awesome. God, why is it so important that Nehemiah begins his prayer with praise? Why does that matter? Here's why. Because it's only from a perspective of adoration that we can properly approach God in prayer. It's only from a perspective of adoration that we can properly approach God in prayer. See, what's going on in Nehemiah's context is he knows his people back home, uh, the people of the, the Jewish faith, have, have married a bunch of people that don't share their faith. And in fact, what's happened is many of them have, have adopted their spouse's idols. And so he knows all this idol worship is going on back home. And so Nehemiah is very clear in the beginning of the prayer that he is addressing the true God, the God of the universe, the God who actually exists, the God who actually acts in this world, does the things that he says he's going to do, and, and Nehemiah praises him for that. See, what happens when you praise God is it exposes your idols, right? When you praise God, when you adore God for who he is, the true God, it exposes your idols, 
That's why we begin with adoration. Because it makes God big and our idols small. Here's what I mean. Uh, recently I was talking with a, a gal who was, uh, she was sharing with me this, this friend of hers who uh, just spends like obscene amounts of money for the sole purpose of, of keeping up her status and, and a certain standard of living so that she looks like she's doing all right, right? And so this, this gal is just going into thousands and thousands of dollars of debt just so she looks like she's wealthy and has it all together. And so this lady's telling me about her friend, and she just kept going on and on about her friend. Uh, and in a rare moment of pastoral insight, um, I, I stopped her, and I said, you know, but, but, but don't we all have something like that? And, and she said, what do you mean? And I said, well, I, I just look at myself. And I said, like, left unchecked, I will slip in to living for success. Left unchecked, that's what I'll do. Like, my entire week will live or die depending on the number of people here on a Sunday. Left unchecked. And I know it's not about the numbers. I know all that. I preach about that all the time. But left unchecked, that's what I'll slip into. If we're not growing, if we're not succeeding, if we're not winning how I think we should win, that is what I'll end up living for instead of God. I'll live for the success of my work instead of the God who's created me and redeemed me. And she said, yeah, I guess I get that. She said, that's not so much a big deal for me. Uh, she said, but, but I think I, I find myself uh, living for beauty. She said, Gabe, I've spent thousands of dollars on surgeries to make myself look good. I'd, I've wrestled with, with every single conceivable eating disorder you could imagine uh, just because I never feel like I look good enough. You see, this is the reality. We, we all have these idols that, that pop up in our hearts, these things that aren't God, but we treat them as if they are. We live for them. But see, when we approach God in praise, when we approach God in adoration, when we say, God, you are the creator of the universe. You're the source of all life. You're the giver of every good gift. When you make God big, when you see how big he is, your idols start to look really puny. They start to look really, really silly. It's when you pray, when you talk to God, start by praising him for who he is and what he's done for you. When you talk to him, recognize him for who he is as the loving creator, the ruler of the universe, and watch your idols shrink down. See, this is why Jesus in the Lord's Prayer, what's the first thing he says? You say, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. What does it mean to make something hallowed? It means to make it sacred, to make it ultimate. So Jesus says, when you start talking to God, make him ultimate, make him number one. See that first. You see, this is why Tanner has a job, um, despite being out of tune. Uh, he, he, this, is, this is why he has it, because this is why we start worship, usually with three songs of praise. Because it's only when, when we stand in awe of God and everything that he's done for us, and we praise him for who he is, that our, our hearts are really shaped to engage him the rest of the service. Does that make sense? Right? So you, you begin with adoration, and when you do that, the, the inner work begins. Because after we praise God and we see him for who he is and our idols are exposed, it's only natural then that we'd look inward and we'd see ourselves, and we'd see that we're sinful, that we need to repent, that we need to confess. Look what happens with Nehemiah, verses 6 through 7. It says this, Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night, for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you, even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments 
the statutes and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. All right, so Nehemiah starts first by acknowledging who God is, how great he is. Then he turns inward, he looks at himself, and he says, man, I've not lived up to that. I've messed up. I've been sinful. And so he repents. He, he confesses is the word we're using. And to confess, it literally just means to speak the truth. And so he just speaks the truth about his condition. He says, God, we, we haven't lived up to what you called us to. He said, God, not just my people haven't lived up to that, but, but my own family hasn't followed you, God. And not just my family, God, but I've sinned against you. I haven't kept the laws that you've called us to keep. I haven't been obedient to you. And I say this, and some folks get a little bit uncomfortable because they say, oh, you Christians, you have such a, a low view of humanity, right? You think we're all just these sinful, messed up people standing before a holy and righteous God. Yes, I do. Um, I do, absolutely. We do believe that. But see, the beauty of our faith is that we absolutely believe that we are sinful and broken and messed up people, but we believe that despite all of that, we are fully embraced, we are fully loved, we are fully accepted, not because we do anything so great or so special, but because Jesus paid the price for us on the cross once and for all. Amen? So we confess our sins, but we don't do it simply to grovel. We don't do it simply to just make ourselves feel bad and beat ourselves up. We do it because it points us to the cross. It points us to the incredible grace of Jesus Christ that he laid his life down for you. You see, we confess because it turns us towards the gospel. Here's what I mean. Uh, in AD 400, there was a, a Roman noblewoman named Anisha Fatonia Proba. And, uh, and she wrote uh, a letter to the, the great theologian at that time, St. Augustine. And, and she expressed concern. She was a Christian, but she said, you know, Augustine, I'm, I'm not sure that I'm praying as I should. And so Augustine uh, wrote a letter back to, to Proba, and, and we actually, we have this letter. And, uh, and this is what he said to her. He said, the, the, the first part is when, when you write back to her, he said, he said um, before you know what to pray for and how to pray for it, you need to first become the type of person. You must first become a particular kind of person that prays well. And so this is what he said to her. We'll have it up on the screen, I think, yep. Uh, you must count yourself as desolate in this world. However great the prosperity of your lot, the scales must have fallen from your eyes and you must see clearly that no matter how great your earthly circumstances become, they can never bring you the lasting peace, happiness, and consolation that are found in Christ. Unless you have that clearly in view, your prayers may go wrong. You see, this is what makes Christian prayer Christian prayer. You, you praise God for who he is and, and how, how great he is, and then you confess your sins in light of that, and you recognize that the only reason, the sole reason that you have access to the God of the universe, to the Father who is up in heaven, the only reason you have access is because the person of Jesus Christ is at work on your behalf. That he is, in fact, interceding for you right now. Right now. This is what we see throughout the New Testament. We got Romans 8, verse 34 says, Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who is raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. And then in Hebrews 7, 25, Consequently, he, referring to Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. 
I love that, man. He always lives to make intercession for them. That right now, on your behalf, Jesus is standing before the Father. As you come before God with all the things you've done, you haven't done, whatever it is, and you look and you see that Jesus says, this person's with me. Listen to them. Listen with them. Listen to them. Jesus intercedes for us. And it's only because of that that we have access to the Father. And so confess your sins to God when you pray to him and know that Jesus is interceding on your behalf. And see, it's, it's a perfect flow, right? So, so we adore God for who he is. We confess our sins. And then once we see the gospel, it only makes sense that we begin to thank God for all that he does for us. Look at what Nehemiah does. Nehemiah says, hey, God, you told us that if we didn't keep your word, that you'd scatter us, and you did. But then you said, if we turned back to you, you'd bring us back to you, and you've done that. Look at what Nehemiah says in verse 10. It says, they are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. In other words, what Nehemiah says here, he said, God, you did what you said you would. You were faithful to your promises. Thank you, God. Thank you. And see, this is our opportunity in prayer too. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving. Right? In light of God's goodness, in light of the goodness of the gospel, there's something to be thankful for. And let me just say that. There is always something to be thankful for. Always. And I know, I mean, I've walked with many of you through some hard times. I mean, you're still in the midst of them right now. But there's always something that we can give thanks to God for. And isn't, isn't I mean, you've noticed this, right? That when you have a, a posture of gratitude, it totally changes how you approach the world, right? When you have a posture of gratitude, it totally changes how you approach God. This is why your grandma told you to count your blessings, right? Now notice, though, what Nehemiah does is before he asks God for anything, he thanks him first. And it's good to ask God for stuff. We'll get to that in a second. But he thanks him first. And so it makes a world of difference on our end as we pray to God, as we seek to do this inner work before we do an outer work, to just thank him for what he's given us. God, you're, you're, you gave us Jesus. Thank you for that grace. God, you're the source of life. Thank you for this breath. God, God, thank you for my friends. Thank you for my family. Thank you that I'm upright. I'm mobile. I'm moving. Thanks for the food in my belly. Roof over my head. It's all a gift from you, God. I didn't earn it. I don't deserve it. You gave it to me. You're the giver of all good gifts. God, you said you'd give me my daily bread, and you've given it to me. We say thank you. Thank you. And it's from that place, that place of gratitude, that we then enter in and we ask God for what we need. And this is what Nehemiah does. Look with me at verse 11. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Adoration, God, you're great. Confession, God, I'm sorry. Thanksgiving. God, thanks for being faithful to your promises. And now Nehemiah gets down to it. Gets down to supplication. He says, God, but, but I need something from you. I need you to help me out here. Now, what does Nehemiah need? Well, Nehemiah is, is going before the king of the largest empire in the world at this time. And he's going to go before him and ask if he can be let go of his job and then go back to his home city and build up the walls so that his people can be protected. And so he's nervous about this. And so he says at the end of it, he says, hear me, God, and give me success. Give me mercy before this man, the king. May I go before him and things work out okay. God, please help me out. And we didn't read this, but if you want to, you can read the rest of the story of Nehemiah. But, but guess what? God answers that with a definite yes. 
that in the very next chapter, actually, Nehemiah doesn't even have to approach the king. The king approaches him. He says, hey, man, you seem really bummed out. Like, what's going on? And, and Nehemiah says, hey, my, my people's city is in ruins, and, and I feel like I need to go rebuild it. The king says, okay, you can go. And tell you what, why don't you take some lumber with you? Why don't you take some of the top officers in my army to go with you and protect you guys as you rebuild your walls? Why don't you go rebuild your city? Nehemiah asks, God answers. See, I think so often we feel weird about asking God for things. We think, oh, that's selfish. I don't want to do that. But consistently throughout Scripture, God says, ask me for what you need. Ask me for what I can give to you. See, Jesus says this in Matthew. I love this. He says, He's talking to a crowd of people, and he says, hey, any of you out here, if, if, if your kid asks you for a, a piece of bread, uh, which one of you is going to give him a scorpion to sting him? I'm not going to do that, right? And then Jesus says, all right, well, say your kid comes up to you and says, hey, Dad, can I, can I have a, a, a piece of fish to eat for dinner? Which one of you is going to throw a snake at him? You're not going to do that. And Jesus says, you guys, you earthly fathers aren't going to do that, and you're a mess, right? You're evil, you're imperfect, and you don't give your kids bad gifts. How much more do you think your heavenly Father will give good gifts to those who ask of Him? Right? See, supplication to our Father in heaven is not being spoiled children. No, 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 no. It's trusting in God as our provider. Hear that again. Supplication to our Father in heaven is not being a spoiled child. It's trusting in God as our provider. See, like, like I want my son to ask me for stuff. I do. I want him to, to ask me to read to him and to, to play with him and to sing him a song, right? Like, like it's my joy as a father to care for him. And see, it's the same thing with our Father in heaven. It's his joy as a father to care for you. So ask him. Ask him. And if you think about it, if, if you've gone through this little outline with me, if you've praised him first, you've confessed your sins, Seeing seen them forgiven in light of the gospel and then giving thanks to God for all he's done for you. Think about what a place your heart will be in as you ask him for whatever you need. Right? You'll be so close to his will, you'll be tuned right in as you talk to God and ask him for what you need. So normally we, we close a minute with a really inspiring story, Waterworks, and then um, we do, uh, that was a joke, apparently not that funny. Um, and... Uh, <laughs> And then we do uh, uh, two minutes, really, of, of silence and, and solitude before God. Uh, but what I'd like us to do is I'm going to have Tanner come back up here. And as, as he's making his way up here, we're going we're gonna to pray through this, this outline. And I'll tee us up to each part. And you just pray quietly in your heart. Um, and we'll just walk through these, these four parts today and, and, and do some inner work uh, this morning. Uh, so if you all would please pray with me. Heavenly Father, out of nothing you created the universe. Lord, you spoke things into existence. And God, you didn't walk away, but you stayed involved. You stayed connected to your creatures. You've shown us great love time and time again as our provider. And Lord, I pray that you would hear the prayers of your people right now as we in our hearts adore you for all that you've done for us.
Lord God, as we think about how great you are, how majestic you are, and then we look inward and we see that we haven't lived the way that you've called us to live. We haven't loved our neighbors as ourselves. We haven't loved you with our whole hearts. And so God, we've been unfaithful. Please hear our prayers as we confess our sins to you. Lord, as we've uh, poured out our sins to you, we know that your grace is enough. That our Savior Jesus has, has covered over our sins, covered us in his righteousness alone. Lord, in light of that gospel, we give thanks to you, not just for the gift of grace, but for all your gifts. So Lord, hear us as we, we say thank you to you. Lord, we know as our Father in heaven, you love to care for us, your children. And Lord, we have real needs here in this church. We have things going on in our families and at our homes and and in our workplaces and with our friends and and in our own personal journeys, Lord. And we know that, uh, that you promise to hear us and you promise to answer. So Lord, hear these requests that we bring before you now. this, trusting in your word, knowing that you hear us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Acts Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at actschurchleander.com.